to the Regional Update with me, Jessica Strauss, the WeedSmart Project Manager and Communications Lead. Each fortnight on Mondays, we interview a local expert from a different cropping region to provide you with a regional weeds-focused update. Let's get into it. Hello, welcome to the Regional Update. I'm Jessica Strauss, the WeedSmart Project Manager and Comms Lead, and we've had a bit of a break from the Regional Update as we were in Esperance for WeedSmart Week, but we're back and this week we're heading to the Western region and we're going to hear from Daniel Birch, who is based near Karoo in Western Australia's Midwest. Daniel recently took part in a resistance survey conducted by the Australian Herbicide Resistance Initiatives researcher, Dr. Roberto Busi and I caught up with Dan at the resistance workshop Roberto held in Dalwallanu a few weeks ago. So Dan explains what prompted him to get involved here and how the results influenced his decision making on his farm and up next we hear from Dan just giving a bit of a overview firstly of his farming system and where he's based. Yeah, sure. Uh, continuous cropping in the Midwest just east of Karoo and we grow uh, wheat, lupins and canola uh, roughly about 60 to 65% cereal and the remainder being broadleaf. Excellent. Now, firstly, you're obviously here at the resistance uh, workshop today. What prompted you to be involved in uh, RE's resistance testing program? Well, there was two key drivers. The first one, uh, we wanted to test some theories that we had on certain parts of the farm and levels of resistance that we felt were there. Uh, and the second driver was really uh, moving into a new property and wanting to understand what level of resistance we had to help inform our herbicide strategy. Yeah, because you guys acquired Kababi, is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of weed profiles that you have out there in that new property? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we took on a farm with a different soil type. It's a lot heavier uh, like heavier loams compared to medium loams and sand plain that we are traditionally used to farming. So yeah, that brings with it a different weed spectrum predominantly being brome grass, but then also it has, it has less of some other weeds and also uh, was a farm which was uh, mainly livestock. So it had a kind of very limited history of some groups of herbicides. So we felt that there might have been some advantage there using some older chemistry which would still work. Um, which isn't the case across the rest of our property. And, yeah, the results were a bit different than what we expected. Yeah, okay. So what were some of those key learnings from the results that you got, Daniel? Uh, well, we did testing uh, between, like, independent testing that, that we conducted um, and through the Levy group. Um, we, we, we had very mixed learnings across the farm, so... Probably the key takeaways uh, for me were that we had much higher Group F resistance in radish than uh, we suspected. But what was comforting was the fact that uh, when we would mix Group F with with other uh, modes of action, we would get a really good result. So your standard kind of post-emergent broadleaf sprays in cereals, including like JAG, and flight, um, etc., still had zero uh, percent resistance and full control. But yeah, you just have to be careful if you pull those group Fs out on their own; they weren't very effective. And then another learning we had was that our, our group B resistance on country, which hadn't had much or any group B 
action before was quite resistant to group Bs. Yeah, so that was a little bit disappointing and a little bit of an eye-opener, but I guess it shows how how the resistance to particular groups like group B, um, which has been used for a lot of decades, can spread across properties, even if you're not using that particular mode of action on, on some properties. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, to, I guess just through um, the weed seed being brought onto farms with different types of seeds and sheep feeds and things like that. Yeah, very interesting. And so how will you adapt your farming system in response to some of these results, Daniel? Yeah, so we have been able to, I guess, refine our strategy across different areas of the farm based on what we've learnt. So in some cases, it means that we will need to use more premium products, premium pre-emergence and post-emergence to get control of, of the ryegrass and radish in particular. But then in other cases, uh, we can actually reduce the cost of our inputs to suit. So, for example, our trufluralin resistance levels were a little bit lower than we expected, but in particular, the results showed that there wasn't a great difference between, in terms of resistance, um, or control between using like a lower rate of trifluralin, let's say 1.5 litres, versus higher rates between 2.5 and 3 litres. Uh, which Roberto includes as part of his testing suite. So therefore, if the conditions are uh, reasonable and we don't need a, a long residual tail, then potentially we can uh, yeah, reduce the rates when we are mixing and rotating to save yeah. on um, cost. Oh, that's great. Okay. And so what did you think of the resistance workshop today? Obviously, there was a lot covered and you've kind of got your own personal results uh, from uh, the uh, testing program that you went through. But uh, what were some of the thoughts that maybe came up for you today? Yeah, it was really valuable to take a few hours out, uh, albeit being great spray conditions today a good day for killing weeds but we were stuck inside for a few hours but it was it was interesting to compare our results to the rest of western australia and find that they were fairly consistent like more consistent than i would have expected so i feel like everyone's kind of in the same boat and Roberto gave a really good rundown across ryegrass radish and brome grass of all the key modes of action or the key products that we use and what level of resistance that our weeds had to those chemicals. So I basically take away a list of what won't work, what might work, and what works really well. And that'll certainly be a reference for us moving into, I guess, budgeting for next year, and then also dealing with whatever the season brings and choosing modes of action throughout the year. Excellent. Oh, that's great to hear. And so, you know, you've obviously dived quite deep into this issue of resistance testing and uh, come to the workshop today. Why do you think it's so important for farmers to get resistance testing done? We did have a Fiona Dempster from UWA talk about some of those perceptions around resistance, and that was quite interesting. Yeah, why do you think, uh, yeah, farmers should test for resistance? Uh, well, it's worked. We can only speak for ourselves, but for us, it's just worked in confirming what we thought might have been an issue and then in some cases so you can be confident in your strategy and then in some cases learning that you can uh, tweak things and maybe even reduce cost in some areas which is important and also sometimes uh, 
switches the, the spotlight from what you might suspect if there's a spray failure or partial failure, you might suspect that it's resistance and then the testing actually shows that it was something, probably something different because there's 0% resistance. So for example, uh, I think application might be a big one. So yeah, it, it puts the spotlight somewhat back on application and making sure that we're using the chemicals how they should be used and in the best conditions with the best sprayer setup, etc rather than just blaming resistance. And then the other part of, of the resistance testing, which I touched on, uh, was learning as much as you can about properties which have a somewhat unknown history. Definitely great messages, Daniel. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us about your own personal test results and your perception of the workshop today. We really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you so much for having a chat with us. Yeah, no probs. 